Our studies in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 21. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, fills up, and he's got some Bibles in his hands, and he'll bring one right to your seat to follow along with us. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 22 this morning. Now you may go, what happened to verses 1 through 11? Well, if you were here on Palm Sunday, we covered them. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Uh, we're skipping ahead. So Matthew 21, 12 through 22 this morning. Everybody got it? Amen. Praise the Lord. She's still singing. I'm no longer a child of God. <laughs> all right, we read starting in verse 12, that Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Now have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed, and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. The title of my message this morning is Fruit Inspections. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word and to know, Lord God, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts, to give us not only understanding of your word, but application in our lives personally and corporately as a church. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to be able to have this building to meet. We thank you, Lord, for our children downstairs that, that, Lord, are being taught your word at this very present time as well, Lord. And we just ask that, Lord, as your word goes forth, that it goes forth with power and it affects all of our lives this morning. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone here that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you as their Lord and as their Savior. They're not born again yet. Lord, we pray that you touch their heart especially today, that they've come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. And this we pray in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I found a story about two church members that were going door to door and wanted to share their faith, and they knocked on the door of a woman who was really not happy to see them. And she told them in no uncertain terms that she did not want to hear their message and she slammed the door in their faces. To her surprise, however, the door didn't shut all the way. In fact, it bounced back. So again, she tried it a second time, slammed the door again. Same result, bounced back again. 
Convinced these rude young people were sticking their foot in the door, she reared back to give it a slam, that, that a lesson they would not forget. When one of them said, Man, man, before you do that again, you need to move your cat. I don't know if that's a true story or not. <laughs> anger. What makes you angry? We read in verse 12 here that Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Then in verse 19, Jesus comes up to a fig tree, finds that there's no fruit on it, and says, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Whoa. I mean, upon first read here in chapter 21, it seems as though this is not the Jesus that we have been reading about. In fact, in this section of Scripture, it actually reveals a side of Jesus that many of us would rather not have to deal with. And everybody loves a Jesus that, that teaches us to love our neighbors and takes the little children and puts them on his lap and in his arms. And, and people honor the miracle worker who heals the sick and promises to answer our prayers. They eagerly quote when Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. There's something nice and comforting about the baby in the manger, the calmer of storms, the forgiver of sins. Yet these verses, I mean, they portray a disturbingly different portrait of our Savior. I mean, what has made him so angry? What is going on here? Let's find out. If you're taking notes, I've divided our study into four points. Number one, the fruitless temple. Number two, the fruitless followers. Number three, the fruitless fig tree. Number four, the fruit of faith. Try to say that ten times real fast. Understand, this is now Passion Week, the final week before the cross of Jesus Christ. On Sunday, Jesus entered the city. He's riding on the back of a donkey, the occult. The people shouted, Hosanna, which means save now. But those same people on Friday will be shouting, crucify him. And by the following Sunday, Jesus would have been risen from the dead. But at this point in time, it's now Monday, Monday morning. Everything Jesus has done for the 33 years, and especially his last three and a half years, all lead up into this final week. And as he's walking towards the temple, he comes to the temple and he finds point number one, a fruitless temple. Look at verses 12 and 13. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Now you read that and go, Why is Jesus so angry? Well, the main reason is people from all over were coming to the temple to worship and God's people, the Jews, the ones who were supposed to be welcoming them and, 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 and welcoming the, the nations to come in and pray. They're ripping them off. They're making merchandise other people. The people would come from all over, but when they got to the temple, they were forced into this high exchange rate once they got there. Let me tell you, that made God angry. Not only that, they would bring their, their sacrifices, their goat or their sheep or their lamb or their dove, and an offering a sacrifice to the Lord, only to find the temple official telling them, well, we've got a problem with your dove. See this little spot here? I don't see this spot. Yeah, it's right right here underneath the wing. Right there. There's just a little, little blemish. There. I don't see it. Oh, it's there. It's there. I'm an official inspector. I see that spot, that blemish there. It's, it's not good enough. You can't offer sacrifices. It's got a spot or a blemish on it. But if I got a deal for you, look at this dove. No spot, no blemish. Well, it looks just like my dove. No, no, no. This one doesn't have a spot or a blemish. And I'd be more than happy 
for one time and one time only to sell it to you at this price. Whoa, a huge price. And they're jacking up the price and they're ripping the people off to the point where the Lord overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who are selling the doves we read. And then he says in verse 13, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You know, this so much applies to our heart and our lives today. God no longer lives, dwells in buildings or or temples or churches that are made with bricks and rock, but he now lives inside of us as believers. The Bible says that as you become a a believer, that, that we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And with that said, as he is present in your life right now, are there things going on in your life that if Jesus were to come, that he would become, you know, become angry. Maybe there's some tables that need to be turned over because of the things that are displayed on them. Maybe there's some drawers that need to be pulled out and dumped out because of the contents that are in them. You are the temple of God and God desires that his temple be used for his honor and his glory. That we produce fruit in our lives. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Are you, first and foremost, a house of prayer? Are you the temple of God that is devoted to prayer? Is there the fruit of prayer in your life? See, Jesus looked to the temple to find the fruit of prayer, and there was none, a fruitless temple. And it's interesting to me that in verse 12, we read that Jesus drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. Basically, he stopped all the sacrifices right then and there, brought it to a halt. Now remember earlier in Jesus' ministry, in the first Passover in Jerusalem, he took a whip and he drove out the money changers. Well, here we don't even read a whip is even mentioned. Evidently, Jesus used his bare hands and violently turned over these tables. These tables weren't little folding tables that we have here. I mean, these are heavy, heavy tables. Turns them over. Money's going flying. Merchandise is getting ruined. Jesus ransacks the temple's business establishment. He lays a hand on these, on these, these uh, temple officials there, you know, bare knuckles. And just, all right, you're out of here. Just pushing these guys out of there. This is radical. Now, there's many lessons to be gleaned here, but I don't think we should miss the obvious. The obvious is that Jesus of Nazareth was no wimp. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. And, and carpenters back then didn't go to Home Depot to buy their lumber. They went to the forest and they had to cut down the trees and had to carry them all the way back to the shop. Jesus was a muscular man who wasn't afraid to use them when necessary. And if he got angry, you wouldn't want to be in his way. And evidently there was something in his eyes, something in his face, something in his countenance that kept all the men that were there from stopping him from challenging him as he drove out the the livestock, overturned the tables, rebuked the men, and kept the entire temple sacrificial system from taking place. I'm thinking maybe it was a glimpse of Revelation chapter 19, verse 12, where Jesus will return in judgment with his eyes like a flame of fire. Could you imagine? The bottom line is Jesus was not going to allow this misrepresentation of God to continue. So he powerfully puts an end to it. This brings us to our second point, the fruitless followers. Look at verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Do you read that? He healed them. Jesus never lost sight of what his mission was all about, what he came to accomplish, what he came to do. Even in the face of an angry day driving these guys out, he never lost his need to see and to help people. However, there were other people who who lost sight of it. Look at verse 15. 
But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Okay, there's your, your fruitless followers here. Following behind Jesus, watching his every move, trying desperately to trip him up. And he sees, they see these great things that he's doing, healing the blind and the lame, the children lining the streets, shouting Hosanna to the son of David. You think they're happy about it? You think they're they're rejoicing? No, they're angry. It's a hot, boiling, over-the-top kind of anger. They were indignant. And they say to him, in verse 16, Do you hear what these are saying? Now, I love that Jesus doesn't get defensive. You know, a lot of times when when someone comes to us and maybe red-faced and and all angry and and what else, and they they say something to us, you know, what's our first reaction? Back to you, you know. We we start going back and forth and maybe some, some, some excuse or something. Jesus doesn't do that. He just simply, calmly, calmly answers with Scripture. Verse 16, and Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? Think about this. What normally comes out of the mouth of babes? Crying when they're hungry, crying when they're thirsty, making a joyful noise when they're delighted or happy. They're spontaneous. My granddaughter, Madeline, six months old, talks and talks and talks all the time. Can't understand a word that she says. But I told my daughter, I said, she's just praising the Lord. She's just, just oh Lord, praise the Lord and just in, in baby talk. That's what babies do. That's what the baby did earlier. You know, just, just baby talk. Oh, God, praise the Lord. You know, I think just praising the Lord. You know, they, they never wait to tell others their need or their excitement. They, they, they make noise. They just do that whenever and wherever they're at. There's no second thoughts of, of feelings or inconveniences of others, whether in the, in the home or the shopping mall or the movies or, shh, you know, restaurants or churches. That's why they're not allowed in some places that want a quiet, uninterrupted setting. But here Jesus likens that to our praise for Him. It should be spontaneous. It should be whenever, wherever. We're just innocent in love and worship of the Lord and outflowing of our hearts to Him. Let me tell you this. This coming week when we have some 45 to 50 kids all sitting in these seats here singing praise songs to Jesus, it is the most coolest thing you've ever seen. Just our hearts are out just flowing for the Lord. And by the way, Jesus here gives a great response when someone is angry at you. He just quotes a Bible verse. He says, have you never read? Now, I think that's a good idea. But you want to make sure it's the right verse. I mean, if someone, you know, you're trying to correct somebody, you don't want to quote them Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> I think that'll just get you in trouble. But Jesus here, he quotes Psalm 8. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Verse 17 says, then he left. Now that's another great thing to do when you're angry. Get some distance between you and whatever's causing the anger to take place before it gets out of hand. Not that Jesus Christ would ever get out of hand. I mean, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't have it. He's perfect. He's God. But, but he does give to us in that action some examples to follow, that we need to pray. And we need to never lose our priority on people. We see their needs. We want to meet, meet these, these people. And thirdly, maybe back away from the situation. Verse 17 says, Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. And this brings us to our third point, the fruitless fig tree. Look at verse 18. 
Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came out to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled. Now I completely understand why Jesus cursed this fig tree. In my opinion, figs are the best fruit that he ever created in this world. I absolutely love them. They're, they're the most delicious thing. So when Jesus walks up to this fig tree expecting to find a nice, juicy fig and there's nothing there, I completely understand. I would have cursed the thing. But let me say, that's not the reason Jesus cursed the tree. The reason I would, but not the reason Jesus did. Obviously, there's more happening here than Jesus' love for figs. There are those who say, well, Jesus cursed the fig tree because he skipped breakfast and he was a little hangry. You know, hungry and angry put together. And his hunger erupted and, and he cursed the tree. Listen, if Jesus wanted to, he could have filled that whole tree with figs with one word. It would have filled with figs. So there's more here that meets the eye. Now understand, figs are, are extremely common in ancient Israel, even as they are still today. And fig trees are unique from most other trees because they produce fruit before they produce leaves. So the fact that these trees as leaves suggest that some kind of fruit would still be on it, either leftover figs from the summer harvest or immature figs that were also edible. So even though this maybe the normal fig season was, was over, it wasn't unreasonable for Jesus to, to look to find something on this tree. But he finds nothing but leaves. So Jesus says in verse 19, that no fruit grow on you ever again, and immediately the fig tree withered away. Listen, Jesus wasn't being hangry. He was being figurative. The fig tree was, was a well-known uh, symbol for the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 8.13, Hosea 9.10, Joel 1.7, Micah 7.1-6. Just a few places in the Old Testament where we see the fig tree as a picture of Israel. So Jesus saw in this fruitless fig tree a figure of the nation of Israel. She had leaves, but there's no fruit. In the same way, the Jews had their, their trappings. They had their religion. They, they, she, they, they kept rules and observed rituals. They closed with the traditions. But behind the facade, there was nothing, no fruit, just empty religion. Now understand what can be true of Israel can also be true of us. Good works, charitable deeds, religious tradition can be like leaves. They make the tree pretty and pleasing to man, but God sees past the leaves to the absence of fruit and condemns it to judgment. Yeah, Jesus is still hungry for fruit, not leaves. There's a rumbling in his stomach for fruit in our lives. See, if our lives today have become the temple of the Holy Spirit, the house of prayer, where God's presence dwells, and then his desire right now is to be satisfied and nourished and fed by the spiritual fruit that our life should be producing right now. Is there some fruit in your life? And if not, is it because maybe there's some anger in your life? Maybe anger has gotten a hold of your heart towards someone that has taken over and it's just controlling you and, and that's all you think about? You know, I find it interesting is that as I read these verses with all this anger that is brewing and storing up in Jesus, he doesn't allow the anger to get the best of him or to control him. Now, what a big difference it is between God and us. Jesus is able to, to pull back that anger so it doesn't get out of hand. In fact, he uses the anger to accomplish his will instead of using anger to abuse people. Let me say that again. Jesus uses anger to accomplish his will instead of using anger to abuse people. So how does that work for us when it comes to anger? Does the Holy Spirit control us or does the anger control us? 
I mean, for some it could be a battle that starts first thing in the morning as you walk out the door. I mean, you've done your, your daily devotions. God, I'm, I'm starting my day. I'm praying, Lord, I love you. But it doesn't take very long before you're on the edge and a little anger comes up. Little things. Why is that light always red when I get to that in the intersection? Why is that person driving so slow? Why don't they just turn already? What is wrong with their driving? And you're filled with anger. And it takes over and there goes the whole day. That's why we need to get a hold of anger before it gets a hold of us. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus was angry, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And there are times when it's okay to be angry. There's good anger and there's bad anger. A lot like cholesterol. You know, there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. Unfortunately, we are all too acquainted with the bad anger, not the good kind of anger, like the bad cholesterol, the potato chips and what's bad for us, and not the avocados and the good cholesterol. What's a good kind of anger? A good kind of anger is an anger directed towards sin. A righteous anger towards sin. Do you hate sin today? Do you absolutely hate sin? And then there's this out of control, unrighteous anger that is sin. And the danger is we can mix the two up and often justify or make excuses for our our anger when in reality we should be repenting from it and applying God's word instead. See, we're told to control our anger, that, that unrighteous anger. Proverbs 19.11, sensible people control their temple. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. James 1.19 and 20 tells us, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, don't let anger control you or your life. This brings up an interesting story, the story of Cain and Abel over in Genesis chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. We'll put it up on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 4, we read of Cain and Abel in verses 2 through 5. It says this. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. You may say, well, well, what's the deal? I think that's a good question to ask, because visibly, if you were to look at the two different offerings that were being brought before the Lord, chances are you'd look at Cain's offering and go, that seems like a pretty good offering. I mean, it looks a lot better. It's like, you know, all the best Missouri vegetables you can find all in one plate. It's like the farmer's market. He's got some fruit. It's natural. It's organic. And, and it's, it's just the best of his fresh-grown produce. And he's just bringing it before the Lord. He's got this wonderful presentation all laid out. Now, this other guy, he's got a dead, bloody animal. You know, the animal activists would go crazy over this one. Our society would say, take the fruit and the vegetables. But you see how wrong it is to live our life based on what is accepted by our society as opposed to what is truly accepted by God. God doesn't accept the sacrifice of man. God doesn't accept what we think looks good and gathered together and brought before Him saying, ta-da, look what I've required for you. Look what I've done for you, God. No, it's only through the shed blood of what Abel's offering represented that, that was accepted. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be accepted in the face of a holy God that we worship today. In fact, listen to what God says to Cain in, in verses 6 and 7 of Genesis chapter 4. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. See, God puts the responsibility back on Cain. 
Why are you so, why are you so angry when you don't have to be? It's a choice that you make. If you do well, your sacrifice will be accepted. But if you don't do well, sin lies at your door. And its desire is for you. Its desire is for you to, to get angry, to get all upset. And then, but, but he says, you shall rule over it. See, Christian, the bottom line is this. We should have no more excuses about this anger thing. So, Pastor Tom, you don't understand. It's just the way I am. It's the way I was raised. It's who I am. It's my heritage. It's my Irish temper. It's my German personality. My Italian way. My French passion. My Spanish spice. I don't know. you. Whatever. No, you are a new creation in Christ. And you need to now nurture that new creation instead of making excuses for the old nature or allowing that old nature to control you or rule over you. God says you should rule over it. Rule over it. Say, I can't. I I tried. You're right, you can't. So let God come into your life and truly rule over those areas in your life. It's just a choice that we we have to make. Let me tell you, when, when you became a Christian, sin didn't die. Anger didn't die. But we're to die to it. We've got to die to those things that bring us down and become the brand new person that God tells us we are. Let me tell you this. Nothing good comes from the way of Cain. Nothing good comes from unrighteous anger. In fact, I read a a study from Harvard done in 2006 that revealed that 10 million adult men in the United States are angry to the point that they're sick and that they've they've been classified as a disease. It's called the IED Disease, Intermittent Explosive Disorder. I read another interview that was done, a a study that was done on the long-term physical effects of uncontrolled anger. And it says that it includes headaches, digestion problems such as abdominal pain, insomnia, increased anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, skin problems such as eczema, heart attack, and stroke. Nothing good comes from unrighteous anger. Now, what are some of the causes and cures for unrighteous anger in our lives? Four things, if you're taking notes. Number one, fear. You know, fear causes anger. Maybe there are things in your life that you haven't given control over to the Lord and you're still afraid. Oh, Lord, I don't know. Fearful things. You know, oh, what are they going to think of me if I do this? What, what's this going to happen? What, what's going on? Fear. Yet 1 John 4.18 tells us, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, and of a sound mind. So exchange that fear for the love of God, the spirit of love, trusting that He is now in control of your life. Fear not, He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, we sang this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. I mean, what does any of us have to fear since God is our Father, He's our Dad, He's watching out for us. So number one, fear causes anger. The second thing I believe causes anger in our heart is rejection. Rejection causes anger. Doesn't it lead to anger in our lives? Maybe you can remember in high school and and those dances and wanting so much to ask that certain person out and you got up all your courage you can muster and, and, and you walked up to her and said, would you like to go to the dance with me? And they said no. Or worse yet, they laughed at you. Okay, maybe that was just me, but, but uh, no, just kidding. But maybe it's a post on social media and they rejected your friend request. Or maybe you tried to call and repair a relationship and they won't answer and that rejection causes anger. Oh, I can't believe they do that. Oh, I can't believe that. Listen, 
God never rejects you. He's always there. There's nothing that you can do that would gain more access or acceptance or love from the one that matters the most, and that's God. He loves you today, and He sends friend request after friend request to you over and over again. And He'll answer every single time you call. So, anger is caused by fear, it's caused by rejection. Number three, failure causes anger. Failure causes anger. Now, I've learned so much through failure. I think I've learned more through failure than I have through successes. But let me say this. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're not a failure. You're a winner. And there isn't anything that or anybody should be able to do in this world that would take away your security of who you are in Christ. But it's kind of like teaching your kid to ride a bike. You know, you're holding on to them and, and you're teaching them how to ride. And they say, Dad, don't let go. Don't let go. You know, and, and you're holding on. Yeah, I'm holding on. You're holding on. To, yeah, I'm holding on. All of a sudden, your voice gets a little further and further away. And Dad, are you still holding on? And, and in the yard, there's the neighbors. They go. And they're angry. Where were you? You're supposed to hold on. It's that fear of failure. But it's through the failure that you learn to ride the bike. Failure is how we learn to live in terms of turning things over to the Lord and seeing that He is even able to take the worst things in our lives and use them for good and for His glory. But what do we do instead? We kick the bike. Oh, dumb bike. Why didn't you ride right? It's the bike's fault. you know. And you get all mad at the bike. It's the same guy that that throws his cell phone against the wall who probably kicked his bike when he was a kid just couldn't ride it. It's a fear of failure, falling off. So anger can come from fear, rejection, and failure. It's the kind of anger that we can have in our hearts that our lives would benefit from if we got rid of. One more thing that causes unrighteous anger. I think this is a big one. Sin causes anger. If you're caught up in some sin, and that sin is controlling you, and you're, you're living under the guilt of that sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit of that sin, it can make you an angry person. It can make you angry with everyone. It's kind of like having a paper cut, and everyone that says anything to you godly, or gives you a verse or something that's praiseworthy, it's like they're pouring lemon juice on that paper cut. And your wife says, goodbye dear, have a good day at work, praying for your day, God, God bless you, God loves you. And you say, fine. Yeah, yeah, you have a good day too. And, and, and by the way, I'm praying for you too. In fact, I pray for you all the time. You're not the only one that prays. I mean, don't you think that you have the market on prayer? I prayed for you and, and, and I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray. Whoa, what's wrong? What's going on here? Calm down. Why? It's that unconfessed sin in your life and that guilt that you're living under that you just can't handle it and you take it out on everyone. And sadly, I see a lot of that in, in men that are struggling with pornography. They know it's sin and, and they hide it from their wives, but the guilt and the shame is too much and they take it out on their wives. The Bible says, confess your sin, turn from it, and God will cleanse you and forgive you. Turn to Him. That's the only way you'll be set free from the anger that comes from being in sin. Turn back to the things of God and experience His love in your life once again. Because, folks, that's the reason why Jesus was so angry. Those sinful things that kept... Uh, them from experiences, love for them, and all that God has for them. Uh, I shared this already. This wasn't the first time that Jesus came into the temple and overturned the tables. In John chapter 2, I said in the beginning of his ministry, he, he, he entered the temple and he just turned the water into wine and, and, and he heads to the temple and he grabs the whips and he's driving them out with the Indiana Jones style with the whip and kicking them all out of there. And, and now Matthew 21, three and a half years later, at the end of the ministry, the last week he is on earth, before he goes to the cross, he feels that he needs to do that once again. Do you know what that tells me? It 
tells me for a lot of us that maybe came to Christ three years ago or 13 years ago or 30 years ago. You invited Christ into your life. He forgave you of sin. He, he cleaned your house. He overturned all those things and cast those out the den of thieves and your heart and life became a house of prayer. But maybe over the years, some of those things came back into your life. Maybe some of those old customs and the ways of the world have snuck back in. Where's time that God's going, I need to do some house cleaning now. And that's what Jesus does. See, Jesus obviously is able to control his anger. And as he goes into that house, into that temple, he goes into that place of prayer. And he uses that anger as an advantage of, of using it as, a, as compared to a disadvantage. Yeah, our Lord was angry, but it was a righteous anger. It was a holy anger. It was a, a, an anger that was rooted in the zeal of holiness of God to be glorified in that place. That's the anger that we need to have in our hearts. A little bit more of that would be so beneficial. To hate the things that God hates, to have our hearts broken by the things that breaks the heart of Jesus. Be able to say, Lord, if there's anything in me, as you have your way in my life, as you're walking about through my life, Lord, if there's anything in this temple of your Holy Spirit that's getting you angry, would you gently, by the power of your Holy Spirit, get it out of my life? I love what John Wesley said. He put it this way. Let's, let's love nothing but God and let's hate nothing but sin and together we will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth and nothing will be done except an answer to prayer. Isn't that great? Let's love nothing but God. Let's hate nothing but sin. That's how I want to live. I mean, do you hate sin today? I mean, I despise it. hate the guts of sin itself. A little bit more of that anger would be great for all of us. And when it comes to unrighteous anger, you have to develop some strategies to deal with those, those triggers from, from tipping you off over the edge. I mean, how do you do that? How do you deal with that? How do you cool down? Let me give you three practical steps to take as we finish up. Notice what Jesus says as he's walking in, into the temple. He says, this should be a house of prayer. So start there, number one, pray. If you get angry, you're upset, man, Pray. Pray. And, and know that it's the wrong kind of anger. If, if you've got that wrong kind of anger, it's going to go nowhere fast. So pray. Get some distance between you and begin to pray. Don't respond right away. Say, listen, let me just pray about this and, and I'll get back with you. See, sometimes anger is caused by some very real inescapable, inescapable problems in life. But prayer is always available. Along the way. So number one, pray. Number two, praise. Again, let this house we call our life not only be a house and a life of prayer, but also let it be a life filled with praise. Begin each day by just praising the Lord. Even in the midst of being angry, start singing worship songs to the Lord. Praising the Lord. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever new. I mean, how can you be angry? Change my heart, oh God. <laughs> you can't do it both at the same time. I don't feel like praising the Lord. Well, do it anyway. The writer of Hebrews calls it a, a, a sacrifice of praise. Even if, if you don't feel like it, begin praising the Lord and see what happens. I think you'll begin to put the priority again on people and ministering to people and serving people and loving people. And that's the third thing that we should do. Pray, praise, and people. When you pray, when you praise, the result will be you'll want to put the priority again on people. That's what Jesus did. Prayer, praise, and people. He doesn't stay angry in the midst of the people. Instead, he started ministering to them. He healed the blind. He, he healed the lame. He ministered to them. And that's why we're here this morning. We're here to minister and to bless one another, to be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So we put the priority back on loving people, and it'll help us to keep that bad anger down and that righteous anger up. Saying, God, man, I hate the way that anger looks on me. I hate what just came out of my mouth. Lord, change my heart. And when you do, that, uh, the, the power of anger will, will be replaced with a new power in your life, a power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in your life. Pray, praise, priority on people, and a new power will be released in your life. You know, Galatians chapter 5 kind of puts this whole thing up in a nutshell because it shows us there the difference between the fleshly anger that we would so uh, love to get rid of and the spiritual righteous life that, that we would love to have in our lives, the fruit that God's looking for. Galatians chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, but the Apostle Paul really spells it out for us there. Uh, we'll put the verses up on the screen. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say that walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I mean, isn't that the way to battle anger? I mean, that's enough right then and there of itself. Let's practice that this week. Let's walk in the Spirit, praying and praising and, and gathering together and, 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 uh, and let's walk away from the flesh. But Paul goes on and he describes the things of the flesh in verses 17 through 21. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. There's that battle. They're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, but the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All these things listed here are related to anger. That's the anger of our flesh. And if you've got these things growing and brewing in your heart, I've got some bad news for you. Because Paul says, if you habitually and continually do these things, he says, as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you think he meant that? I think he did. I mean, the Bible means what it says and says what it means. Do you think that people are living today their lives as if Paul meant that or, or that God meant it? I mean, God means it. When God says, hey, don't be doing these things, don't have adulterous affairs, you know what the word there for adultery is in the original language? Adultery. It hasn't changed. Society's changed. They may call it something else, but God says, I hate this, it's sin. And he says, those who practice, continually practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornication, he lists there, he hates it. It's the word pornea, where we get our English word pornography from, he hates it. And he goes on and on about these attributes of anger that need to go and it's placed, need to be placed with people who are set free from these things. Uh, people that are filled with the Spirit of God and are experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The fruit that Jesus can come and see is evident in our lives. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Jesus is looking for in our lives. Is it there? Would he find that if he's looking? This brings us to our final point, the fruit of faith. The fig tree has been cursed. The disciples now see the results. Look at verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith. See, faith is the key. Don't lose your faith. Even in the face of, of angry moments at angry times, 
Believe that God wants to work in you. I mean, we're living in an angry, angry world. It's getting out of control. I watched a video yesterday, maybe you saw this, of a family getting in a fist fight at Disneyland. Supposed to be the happiest place on earth, and this mom and his dad and his sister and brother and, and in-law, they're punching each other out. I'm going, I can't believe this. We live in an angry world. And yet you never want to be a part of that or allow that anger to rip you off of the faith and the fruit that should be in our lives. Look what Jesus says in verse 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, and probably Jesus is pointing to a mountain over there, maybe you have a mountain in your life, this mountain in your heart that seems to be some insurmountable obstacle. Maybe it's a mountain of anger. Instead of doubting even what I'm saying to you right now in that place at this moment, believe, have faith that even even that mountain of an obstacle, be it anger that rages or hate, whatever it might be, that you could see it removed today, gone out of your life this morning. Jesus says, if you have faith, if you believe, if you don't doubt what happened to this freak tree, you can do even bigger things than that. These huge mountains could be removed. Jesus said, you can say to this mountain in verse 21, be removed and be cast into the sea and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. See, it comes. we started in prayer, goes back to prayer. The house of prayer, this is what it is to be all about in my life, in your life. Whatever things we ask in prayer, believing you will receive. You might receive. Good chance you'll receive. No, he says, you will receive. He said, well, I'm not receiving. I'm not experiencing this kind of faith. Well, what is it then that's preventing you from receiving all that God has from you? Is there something that God wants to, to, to turn over in your life to give to you of it? And you've not turned from it. Don't you think it's about time? Jesus is looking for fruit in our lives. And the only way he can, we can produce fruit is by faith, believing God. By saying, Lord, I don't want this anger. I don't want this sin in my life anymore. I want to live for you. I'm going to turn from that. And by faith... I'm going, to, I'm going to move in the right direction. And listen, that's going to produce fruit in your life. Is there fruit in your life to speak of? I mean, Jesus is still hungry for it. To see that love and that joy and that peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are things that God's looking for in our lives. How do we get those things? By faith. Taking steps of faith. Saying, Lord, I hate the way I often am. Lord, I want to live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Make this house, my life, a temple of prayer and praise and caring for people and seeing your power released in my life. I want that fruit in my life. I want to go the way of Christ and not the way of Cain. You know that in the book of Jude, Jude warns us not to go the way of Cain. Don't go the way of Cain. Remember, he came to God on his own terms and said, I can do it my way. Him and Frank Sinatra, you know, they, they did it their way. The, and the rest of society. Cain put his plate and platted together and came to God in his own way. He was rejected. Why? Because you've got to come through Christ. It's only through Christ and Him alone. You've got to allow His Spirit to take control of your heart and take control of that anger. Maybe you're here today and that's exactly the area that you're struggling with on a continual basis. Maybe it's some other area. What a great opportunity for you to give it over to the Lord who loves you and wants to do great and mighty things in our lives, if we simply believe and by faith believe He will do those works. And if you're here this morning, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I tell you, your life's a mess. (laughs) 
There's no control over anything. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and fill you and cleanse you of your sin and walk with you. And God will do that. As soon as the service is over, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, come up and talk to me or one of the elders up front that will be here. would love to give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you that you've laid out for us the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Lord, help us to hate sin. Lord, help us to hate it enough to want to stay away from it completely. Lord, help us to love you more than anything else. Lord, help us to produce that fruit that you desire to find in our lives, Lord. And so, Lord, as you're coming to to our temple here this morning, our bodies, our lives, Lord, is there anything that you want to turn over? Search our hearts, Lord. See if there's anything there. And, And, Lord, turn it over. Show us that we might, by faith, walk in that newness of life, Lord. That we turn away from those things that are bringing us down, Lord, and turn to you. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that there's no sin. Nothing so far that we can't, can't come to you, Lord, that we can't find that forgiveness and grace. So Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, bless this week, we pray. Lord, we ask your blessing upon our vacation Bible school, upon all the children that will be coming out this week. Lord, that there'd be, uh, commitments made to you, Lord God, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior, even as a young age, Lord, for these kids. Bless the workers, we pray, Lord, those that have volunteered their time and energy. Bless everything about this coming week. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.